Fog and rain obscured the sun's orange glow as it slipped above Lake Erie's shoreline to mark the dawning of an August Saturday. Sleepy residents of Toledo began to stir with visions of a carefree summer weekend. But all their plans of visiting the zoo, taking kids to the pool, or grilling with friends and family were quickly overshadowed. On the morning of August 2, 2014, word quickly filtered through Ohio's fourth largest city of a stunning directive officials had issued early that morning. The water flowing out of their household taps was dangerous. Routine tests had revealed toxic chemicals in the water system caused by a burst of algae blooming just offshore in Lake Erie. City officials urgently ordered a half a million people served by that system not to drink the water, cook with it, or even brush their teeth. Children and those with weak immune systems were told to stop using the city water to bathe. The local water ban lasted two days. The Ohio National Guard delivered 33,000 gallons of drinking water and volunteers set up distribution sites around the city. Residents spent their weekends scrambling for creative ways to eat, drink, and clean. Restaurants and other businesses closed and the local economy lost an estimated $65 million. Microorganisms called phytoplankton live in bodies of water and are a key source of aquatic food chains. These microbes can grow rapidly, spurred by favorable wind and water currents, or by the introduction of new nutrients, such as fertilizer runoff from nearby farms and fields. When this rapid growth degrades aquatic ecosystems, sometimes releasing toxins that can harm humans or aquatic life, it's known as a harmful algal bloom. These events have been known to compromise drinking water reservoirs, disrupt recreation, shut down fisheries, and kill fish, birds, and other aquatic species. Scientists largely agree that the number, geographical distribution, and economic impact of toxic blooms have dramatically increased around the world in recent years. Harmful algal blooms have been recorded in all 50 states, and they cause about $82 million in economic losses to the seafood, restaurant, and tourism industries each year. Current federal policy identifies harmful algal blooms as one of the most complex and economically damaging aquatic issues threatening the nation's ecosystems. Given the immense damage harmful algal blooms cause the environment and economy, the 2018 Water Resources Development Act authorized Burdick to implement a five-year technology research program to deliver scalable technologies for harmful algal bloom detection, prevention, and management. During the program's first three years, 32 projects have been initiated featuring collaboration between ERDIC, federal, state, and academic partners, including 24 that are led by ERDIC. I'm Megan Holland, and with Chris Kiefer, this is The Power of ERDIC. Today's episode, we are joined by two guests from Erdic's Environmental Laboratory. Dr. Jen Sider Moser, an Erdic Technical Director overseeing Civil Works Environmental Engineering and Sciences, will tell us about the scope of Erdic's research to prevent, detect, and manage harmful algal blooms. Molly Reef will talk about a project that helps researchers and water managers use remote sensing technologies to quickly detect the presence of toxic blooms in small inland bodies of water. Molly is the Geospatial Data Analysis Team Lead at the Joint Airborne LIDAR Bathymetry Technical Center of Expertise on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. We'll talk with Jen and Molly about the key role Arctic is playing in solving this critical environmental challenge. 
Jen, Molly, we're so glad to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks. We're excited to be here. Absolutely. I want to start this discussion from a high level. Jen, tell us about what are harmful algal blooms and why is this such an important issue? It is a very important issue. Freshwater harmful algal blooms are defined as an overgrowth of algae that harms the environment and the local economy, often giving the water a blue-green or soupy appearance. Blue-green algae, aka cyanobacteria, are the most common of the HABs in freshwater systems. Some HABs uh, produce toxins, but not all do. Um, Some can disrupt ecosystems by causing uh, shading of submerged aquatic vegetation, which then can disrupt the aquatic food web, and then can also disrupt uh, dissolved oxygen levels, causing what's called hypoxia, which can cause fish kills and have negative impacts on macroinvertebrates, particularly on the bottom of the water body. I'm going to throw in now, just for the sake of the audience, HABS is a common acronym for harmful algal bloom. I know as we talk through this, I'm sure we're going to slip into you know, <laughs> calling them harmful algal bloom, calling them HABS. So last year, I actually went out to Zion National Park to go hiking. And one of the trails we did is called the Narrows. It's actually in the Virgin River. And mm-hmm. right before we were headed out, a warning came out about the Virgin River. They were having this problem. And it was very serious. Can't, can't submerge your head. Be careful with animals. Be careful with children. And I had not really heard much about this before then. So my question is, how widespread is this issue? HABs really are extremely widespread and can occur in many different ecosystems and regions across the country, which is honestly something that I didn't know until we began to dig even more into this topic. Um, Harmful algal bloom outbreaks um, can impact the nation's freshwater resources across scales, anything from large lakes to river reaches across ecoregions from places like Florida all the way to New York or Ohio, but then also in different system types, anything from like reservoirs, riverine systems, or lakes. Uh, And so it it really is very widespread, um, which is why one of the reasons why we're doing the research that we're doing, trying to come up with scalable research that can apply to all of these different regions, but then also different uh, freshwater system types. So this is about more than issues within the water. This is about the health of people and animals and the general ecosystem around these areas. Correct. It is. Um, It it also impacts the ability of the Army Corps of Engineers to be able to do their mission as well. So that's one of the reasons that has given us the directive to engage in this particular topic. And how did Arctic get involved in studying this? That really is a great question, and, and it's a question that we get a lot because I think many times the USACE and the URDIC may not have been the natural fit for this work, but it's very important for the USACE and the URDIC to be involved for a number of reasons. One is that the USACE is responsible for managing freshwater resources across the nation and manages over 400 natural resource management project sites, including reservoirs used for po- potable water across the nation. Second main reason is that the USACE um, has been directed to develop and demonstrate technologies that will reduce HAB impacts across the nation. Um, As I believe you alluded to earlier, uh, the Water Resources Development Act of 2018 authorized the USACE to implement a five-year technology demonstration program focused on scalable technologies for HAB prevention, detection, and management. And so we're in the process of, of implementing that plan, and we're in the third year of that. And then lastly, the URDIC is a unique research organization 
that houses a range of interdisciplinary engineers and scientists with diverse backgrounds that can develop a holistic and novel solution or series of solutions to complex environmental problems like harmful algal blooms. There aren't many institutions or organizations out there that, that have the, the reach of experience that, that the URTIC has. You know, one of the things that I think is really important uh, to note here is that although we may have expertise in a lot of natural and environmental systems, these efforts will not be achieved without partnering with federal, state, and local resource agencies. In addition, partnerships with academia and industry subject matter experts is critical to the success of this HAB R&D program. And so our partners bring knowledge, opportunities, and authorities required to tackle this national challenge that, that we couldn't do alone. Yeah, I understand even from when we've talked in the past, those partnerships. I mean, there seems to be there's a lot of intentional thought of how to leverage those. Now, our partnerships are, are really important. We have hosted a number of different workshops and listening sessions with stakeholders. But then, like for instance, we held a workshop with the USACE districts from across the country to listen to their needs and what their issues are and how our program can best support them um, in managing their freshwater resources. And so that was really helpful for us to be able to plan our path forward with our research. We also had a workshop with all of our federal agency brothers and sisters to listen to the research that is being done um, under their programs to ensure that we are not duplicating efforts, but then also to identify areas where we can work together uh, to come to a resolution more quickly than if any of us were going down this path alone. So yeah, sure. we were able to identify a number of areas. I understand there are three main areas you, you all are looking at, prevention, detection, management. Obviously, there's a lot of projects. We won't be able to cover all of them in the podcast, and I know we're about to talk with Molly Reef about one specific project, but can you just highlight some, you know, some examples in, in maybe those different areas? Erdic's research in HAB prevention focuses on emphasizing novel preventative treatments as opposed to nutrient reduction strategies that other federal agencies are investigating. So one example is an ongoing research focused on the treatment of HAB-causing algal cells that overwinter in sediment, so at the base of the, the water body. By reducing the abundance of these cells, by treating the sediment with algicide during different growth stages, it re will reduce the likelihood of a subsequent HAB event that may happen in, in the next season. So just to, to back up, mm -hmm. these are cells in the water, basically, mm -hmm. stay there over winter. Yep. Then when the spring happens, because they're already there, all of a sudden right. it warms up, plants start to grow, and right. they contribute to a, to yep. a, a rapid bloom. Yes. So the idea is getting rid of these cells um, exactly. to keep the bloom from happening in the first place. Exactly. If we can at least cut back on those populations, then we're hopefully deterring an event. Um, and so that, that's what is just one example of a preventative treatment mm -hmm. that we're looking at. Another example that fits sort of within the prevention arena is what we refer to as forecasting. So being able to understand when and where a HAB event may occur can be critical for water management decision-making. And so we are partnering with 
um, a number of USACE districts in order to create models for them to make well-informed water management decisions that will greatly reduce the impact to the surrounding communities. Mm -hmm. So then another area that we're working in is the detection arena. So rapid harmful algal bloom detection is really critical for risk management. Um, HAB detection includes identification and quantification of cyanobacteria species and their toxins in freshwater samples. Current methodologies for identifying species and toxins um, are extremely costly and also um, have very long analysis times, which delays critical risk management decision-making, which can include closing water bodies to recreation, water level management decisions, engaging impacts to drinking water resources. So the sooner that we can identify what the impact is of the HAB, um, or if it's detrimental, Um, the better and the more quickly we can make decisions and maybe um, implement management activities. Sure. So uh, research by Erdic and partners in the HAB detection focus area um, emphasizes these rapid identifications, both um, including novel uh, handheld field sensors for rapid toxin analysis, as well as remote sensing for HAB assessment, which we will be speaking about with Molly in just a little bit. So. It's kind of all the way down from the tiny molecular level all the way up to really advanced technology like like remote sensing. So. Yeah, some of the management I, th- I think are the habitat system where you take the blooms out of the out of the water and you turn it into things like fuel and and exactly you know usable products and so forth. Yeah, so the only thing I'll add to that is is management is is really important um, for the USACE to understand, but then also have a number of tools in the toolbox, right? Um, Habitats is an extremely promising technology that we're developing here at the URDIC and in conjunction with a number of academic and industrial partners as well. And so Habitats is the HAB interception treatment and transformation system. Like you said, what it does is it actually collects the algae and then through a series of transformations the algae is turned into biocrude fuel and destroys toxins and collects nutrients in the process so it really is a very novel technology but we're also looking at other things like chemical physical and biological means as well to remove destroy or neutralize habs in a number of different systems whether it be lakes or riverine systems and things of that nature so as Jen noted, Arctic has multiple ongoing research and development projects addressing harmful algal bloom problems, and we are going to discuss one of those projects in a little more depth. I'm going to pass it over to Molly, who is joining us via Zoom today from the Mississippi coast. Um, Molly, can you tell us a little bit about your research and the specific problem that you're trying to solve? Yeah, so uh, we're currently part of a three-year research work unit It's focused really on building geographic information systems or GIS software tools to assist our district water operations managers with detecting and monitoring water quality indicators of HABs. So we are really focusing on small inland water bodies. And so as Jen mentioned, you know, the Army Corps of Engineers is responsible for operating and managing hundreds of those over vast geographic areas. And specifically, the tools themselves range in complexity from hands-on, comprehensive R software package called Water Quality. And that's currently available online and actively being used. 
And then we also have more streamlined tools. So these include things like a toolbox with a workflow of preset menus in readily available GIS software. And then we also have a web-based mapping application. So both of those things are, are currently in development. The range in software complexity is there to accommodate a broad user base across the core. Um, so we know we have quite a few districts and this allows them to integrate the technology in a way that best suits their needs. But all of the tools make use of freely available satellite imagery to produce abundance maps of HABs. And really we're focusing on those water quality indicators such as chlorophyll A. So that's one of the more common ones. And if I can get a little bit more technical, I just want to mention, I know maybe some of the audience isn't familiar with satellite imagery and in a nutshell, basically these imagers can act like sophisticated cameras that have filters allowing us to sense specific parts of the electromagnetic spectrum. And, and basically these are just things that are not visible to the human eye. And so we can take advantage of that to estimate relative algal pigment concentrations. And the other nice thing about this work is that it capitalizes and builds on 10 years of previous collaborative research supported by the Great Lakes and Ohio River Division. And, you know, you heard Jen talk about our relationship with and partnership with the University of Cincinnati. Um, we also worked with US EPA and other state agencies to carry out pilot demonstrations. And we worked in two lakes, basically one was in Ohio and one was in Kentucky. And as part of these demonstrations, we evaluated and developed analytical methods to identify those algal pigments from a variety of different types of imagery. And so collectively, the tools themselves and that foundational research are um, intending to help our districts with the challenge of monitoring hundreds of lakes and reservoirs. And the, the other nice thing is that they can use that to prioritize their traditional field-based monitoring. I just want to make sure that people are listening, don't miss kind of how cool this is. Essentially, what this is allowing people to do is, whether it's someone at a, at a core district or a water manager or somewhere else, to take the satellite image, and, and from the satellite image, they can see harmful algal blooms that they may not have otherwise known about, you know, at that kind of scale. Yeah, so what's nice about this is that based on all of the sort of previous evaluations, we developed these methods that have already been vetted. You know, we've done the homework, basically. They can make use of that approach, and, and those are all embedded in the tools themselves. So they can use the analytical methods that have been uh, previously researched in a variety of different tools to be able to map indicators of the harmful algal blooms. And building on that, I know your team recently produced a technical report that is believed to be the most downloaded technical report in Erdic's history. Why do you think this research has resonated so much? Yeah, this is really, really exciting for us. The, the popularity of the report is super validating and tells us that we're on the right track with the work. And for those 
folks who maybe aren't familiar with it, the report is titled Water Quality, an Open Source R Package for the Detection and Quantification of Cyanobacterial Harmful Algal Blooms and Water Quality. And this was led by our Dr. Richard Johansson, who helped develop the R software package. And it basically serves as a user guide for the package, and it highlights one of those pilot demonstration examples I mentioned from Ohio. And the report itself was first published in December of 2019. And then about a month later, we received an email from ITL saying that in the first 30 days, the report was visited over 700 times and downloaded nearly 400 times. And that that was some of the highest statistics they'd ever seen for a newly published report. And we checked the statistics again last month, and it was visited at least 2,400 times and downloaded almost 2,000 times. So it continues to track really well. I know it's just so I don't think we could have anticipated that this reaction, but it again, it's super validating for us. And I just want to mention too, while we're talking about numbers, the R package itself has been downloaded about 11,000 times from GitHub. So in addition to the report, the software itself is still really doing well in terms of, uh, you know, number of downloads. And I think, unfortunately, in some way, this speaks to the gravity of the problem, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we know firsthand through, like as Jen mentioned, all this outreach that we've done with our districts, they're really thirsty for new technology and they need tools because the detection and monitoring with the traditional approaches is is somewhat limited. And so, you know, they just can't be everywhere all the time, right? So remote sensing offers a way to increase their situational awareness by providing a synoptic or whole lake view of what's happening across an entire water body. And that's not really something you can do very well with discrete field-based sampling. But at the same time, those those field-based methods are really critical for assessing the toxicity. And so from that standpoint, there's sort of a complementary uh, a dance between what's happening in the field and in the remote sensing part. And that's where remote sensing can be used to help prioritize the field sampling and in that sense, help reduce costs and maximize monitoring resources. And then lastly, there's and there's no way we could have foreseen this at the outset of the project, but the pandemic itself has sure. severely limited district capacity to travel and conduct field sampling, right? So people were just scrambling to find ways to do their monitoring. And I think you know, in part, the pandemic necessitated alternative ways to conduct monitoring. And since then, there's really a continued movement to to maximize work digitally. And so I think we'll see that trend continue. Hmm. So Molly, tell us about your team. So we have um, six research geographers making up our geospatial data analysis team within EL. And on this particular project, Dr. Richard Johansson and Christina Saltis are providing the primary technical support to develop the software tools. And then we've also partnered with Esri, which is a GIS mapping software company to assist with the web application development. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, This is really uh, built upon previous research with a variety of partners. And that's actually how we met Richard. Um, So he was doing his grad school work at the University of Cincinnati at the time. And we eventually brought him on to URTIC um, during the pandemic. And then Christina is one of our more seasoned geospatial experts and has a lot of great experience with scripting and, and GIS. And so we're in good technical hands sort of all the way around. And how does this fit in with what other agencies are doing? So as Jen mentioned, that this problem requires a collaborative, you know, coordinated front. And over the course of the work, we've 
you know, made sure to communicate with our federal and state partners who are also developing solutions in response to this problem. So one thing that we often get asked about is another project called Cyan. This is the Cyanobacteria Assessment Network. And basically, this is a multi-agency project that's been ongoing. And, you know, sort of similarly, they're looking at early warning indicators to detect harmful algal blooms in the in the US and focusing on freshwater systems. But there are some notable differences between the two efforts. And Cyan is really focused on large water bodies such as the Great Lakes and coastal areas that fit within NOAA's mission space. And because of that, you know, they're really focused on using coarser resolution satellite imagery. So imagery that's maybe more appropriate for large regional assessments, Mm -hmm. whereas our project is using higher spatial resolution imagery. So that's, again, the need there is is for the smaller inland water bodies. And in that sense, you know, they're geographically complementary to one another. Our project is really attempting to enable water operations managers with software tools that they can tailor to their individual needs within their individual water quality programs. So here at Arctic, we like to talk about how we do stuff a lot. Um, But my favorite thing to talk about is the ultimate impact. And I just want you to sum up in in two or three sentences why this work matters. And Jen, I'm going to pass it to you first. Managing for water resources is something that the core has to do on a daily basis. And so for us to have the tools needed to do this um, in a rapid and responsible way is extremely valuable, especially the fact that, you know, all these resources are being downloaded left and right tells you that this really is a need and it's out there and people are scrambling for a solution. And so hopefully through all of our partnerships, we'll be able to deliver this more quickly and also better understand these complex systems. Molly, can you do the same talking about your research? Yeah, so... The, the research really stems from a direct need by districts for more ways to quickly assess water quality conditions and monitor for HABs. So it's really about developing solutions that work towards the goal of being more proactive with respect to harmful algal blooms. And really, that all starts with better monitoring capabilities. So that's ultimately what we're after. I want to end with one more question, Jen. You talked early about one of the reasons that this research came to Erdic is its interdisciplinary approach mm-hmm. and the u- unique capabilities Erdic offers because of that and all the labs that can work together and so forth. Mm-hmm. What is one or what are some examples that you've seen in this harmful algal bloom area where Erdic's interdisciplinary approach has really produced some unique solutions? I'm really quite proud of the, of the program that we are building. As of right now, I believe that we are engaging six out of the seven Erdic laboratories um, across our program. And so that really speaks to the interdisciplinary nature Mm -hmm. of what we're trying to do. We have everything from molecular biologists to remote sensing subject matter experts, um, all the way to uh, environmental engineers that are conducting state-of-the-art science that is happening um, here And so there aren't a lot of organizations in this country or anywhere that has that range of expertise essentially all under one roof. And I also am quite proud of the fact that we, on many of these projects, will have a range of scientists on a singular project, not just the the scope of the 32 different projects that we have ongoing. Um, And so I, I think that that really speaks to 
the power of the Erdic and what we're really trying to go for. And that's one of the things I love the most about Erdic and working at Erdic is just being able to utilize all those different disciplines and really work towards a holistic solution to complex challenges. That's great. Th- thank you all. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Molly. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, today. thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Over the past three years, Erdic's harmful algal bloom research has included major projects in Florida, New York, and Ohio. It has worked with universities like Ohio State, University of Toledo, University of Cincinnati, Nova Southeastern University, Bowling Green University, and Texas A&M at Galveston. It has also partnered with the Corps of Engineers Buffalo District, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, the U.S. Geological Survey, and the Department of Energy Pacific Northwest National Laboratory, among other federal partners. Erdic has also finalized a cooperative research and development agreement with the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation to help coordinate and leverage resources in the state. Erdic continues to develop scalable technologies that can be applied in varying geographies across the United States. It is working to address critical research gaps in harmful algal bloom detection, prevention, and management. Through its research and collaborative efforts, Erdic has established itself as an authoritative source in tackling one of the country's most vexing and pressing civil works challenges. The Power of Arctic Podcast is a production of the U.S. Army Engineer Research and Development Center. Follow Arctic on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest information. You can listen to the Power of Arctic Podcast in all major podcast players. Please subscribe and be sure to leave us a five-star review. Visit powerofarcticpodcast.org for more resources, including more details on the broad scope of Arctic's harmful algal bloom research. You can also contact us at powerofarcticpodcast at usace.army.mil. That's all we have time for today, but if you'd like to know more about harmful algal blooms or cutting-edge research, visit us at erdic.usace.army.mil. We'll see you next time.